For the past several weeks, we have been in a sermon series called Whole Life Worship. And so far, we've discussed how our Sunday gathered worship, what we do here on Sundays, is meant to spill out into the rest of the week on Monday as we scatter as the church. We also explored this idea that our everyday story, our ordinary things, our ordinary tasks and interactions are actually part of God's bigger story. And the things that we even say are worship and they matter to God. And today we're going to kind of nest those or put those in, in a bigger foundational understanding and wrap up the series today. And as I thought, started thinking about foundations and basics, I started thinking about, as a Marine, what is foundational as a Marine. And, and shooting well and being a marksman is a big deal in the Marine Corps. And so um, before I joined the Marine Corps, I had never shot a weapon ever. And when I got there, they took that very seriously. And they taught us these fundamentals and basics of marksmanship. And they taught us how to shoot from five to 500 yards and beyond. And this served me well throughout my career, especially as I went into combat. And as my career progressed, equipment changed. So I learned on iron sights, which was just a little piece of iron in front of your, 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 your gun and you shot it. But as I progressed, they had these scopes and these high-tech things that they would put on your, on your, on your, on your gun. But it didn't matter because the, if you didn't know the fundamentals, you might have looked really cool, but you still couldn't shoot. And so fundamentals and basics were very, very important. And for us in worship, fundamentals and basics are very, very important as well. And at times it could look like we, we are getting worship right. It could look, we could look good while we're doing it. We could sound good as we're doing it. We could serve good. We could preach good, but we could be totally detached from true worship. And true worship is a heart that is devoted to loving Christ that fuels our everyday actions. And the title of today's message is The Heart of Worship. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And as you're turning, let me give you some context. So the book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John. The Apostle John is now old, and he's been exiled to this island called Patmos. And it, while he's exiled to this island, he encounters the risen Christ. And when he sees the risen Christ, he says he falls like a dead man. And, and Christ goes and, and speaks into him and, and asks him to, to write down the things that he sees. And the first um, thing that Jesus addresses in this letter is the seven churches. And these seven churches are, are historic churches. They're also a type of church throughout all of redemptive history. And the first church that he writes a letter to is the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus should be something that, a word that we're pretty familiar with. It's, it comes, um, we have a, a letter from the, to the Ephesians from the Apostle Paul. And Ephesus was a diverse metropolis in Asia Minor, and it was heavily steeped in the occult, and, um, and it, was, it was a growing environment of, of an anti-Christian sentiment at the time, as, as John is writing this. And the Apostle Paul had 30 plus years before John writes this, had planted the church at Ephesus and had stayed there for a few years, and then when he left, he left his protege, Timothy, there to pastor the church, and then before John was exiled 
to Patmos, the Apostle John pastored this church. So this church had some pretty good pastors. They had a great legacy, yet they forgot the fundamentals and the basics. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at the fundamentals and basics of worship and look at three things to ground our whole life worshiping. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We bless you and we entreat you by the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Speak to us, reveal to us your word to us. May you receive all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First thing we see is that the heart of worship keeps Jesus Christ the main thing. Jesus cares about how we worship. We read in verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him, him being Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, just a little, little interpretive um, explanation here. When we read that Jesus, he holds, he has in his grip the seven stars. The stars in Revelation relate to pastors. So he's talking about pastors. He's like, I got the pastors in my right hand. Pastors, you don't just get to say whatever you want because you're my servants. You say what I want you to say. So he holds the pastors in his right hand, and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. Lampstands in Revelation mean churches. So he walks, he's present among the churches. And so we read that the church is Christ. This is Christ's church. Free Christian church is Christ's church. This is a church that he died for. He died for his universal church, but he died for us as well as part of the universal church. So he cares how we worship him. It matters to him. He died for it. He's present among us. And we see that the heart of worship is more than just mere appearances. Verse 2 says, I know your deeds and your hard work. I know that you've been productive for the gospel and your perseverance. You've had inward fortitude in adversity for the gospel as this church at Ephesus was experienced. And I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. They have obviously had false prophets arising, false apostles, and they spoke out against them and called them out. They just didn't let these things happen. He says that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name. They suffered for the sake of Christ, and they have not grown weary. They haven't given up. They're not just, they're not just allowing people to come in and say what they want to say. They're solid. And they're standing firm. They're standing firm, and it looks like that they're very successful. As a matter of fact, Christ is commending them for their service, their community service, their dedication, their theology. I mean, how can their theology be bad? They had the apostle Paul, Timothy, and John as their pastors. So they're theological sound, they're sound and, and, and they're letting people know that, and they're, and they're protecting. And Jesus says, that's good. And by all accounts... We see this church and we say, that's a good church. We want to be this church. But then, this is what we read. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. These are six words you never want to hear from Jesus. 
We see that a heart of worship focuses on the main thing. So what is the main thing? Well, we continue to read. You have forsaken, you have abandoned the love you had at first. The love that precedes all loves. You see, Ephesus had great pastors. They served great. They had a great legacy. They had great theology. But they had a great big heart issue. And they were going through the motions. We see that love passion and motivation for Jesus is the main thing. It is not worship if it is not about Jesus. We can gather here, and many people do, but if it's not about Jesus, it's not worship. It's just a bunch of people gathering together in a building. And so we see that Worship is all about loving Jesus, and this love spills on over to others and transforms all the stuff we do and creates it and makes it worship. It's just not the acts or the things themselves. And I told you that technology changed, and, and there were so many bells and whistles you could put on your rifle. I remember being at the Special Forces community, and I had a giant light on my, my gun, my weapon. I had a, a GPS on my weapon. I had a scope on my weapon. I had all these things. This thing weighed a ton, and I looked pretty cool. Not gonna lie. But here's the thing. You could look cool, but you still gotta know how to shoot. And that requires you to go back to the fundamentals, the basics. And let's face it, the main thing doesn't always remain the main thing for us. Without love, Love of Christ, our service becomes all about social justice, reform, and making us feel good or, or getting notoriety. Gathered worship becomes optional and being about entertained. Scattered worship becomes a recommendation or a burden. And good theology becomes an, an academic point of pride that we're ready just to, to wield it on whoever gets in our way. But with Christ-centered love, our service becomes an opportunity to show the love of Christ. Our gathered worship becomes a celebration and a, a rendering of everything to Jesus. Our scattered worship becomes an opportunity to redeem our culture for the glory of Christ. And our good theology, our good theology just brings us to our knees in humble adoration. As we just, we just learn, as we read his word, and we just think how bigger, much bigger God is. So we have to ask ourselves individually and as a church, is Christ the main thing? And we're going to be tested on this, and we are being tested on this. Listen, it's cold in here. It's cold. Don't laugh at me, I'm cold. And I'm sure that you are all sick and tired of the changing maze getting to the church and getting around Andover. You go down one street, nope, not that anymore. It constantly changes. It's like we're playing some sort of like Hunger Games or whatever. <laughs> and we're going to be tested on it. And if, it's, if worship is just about you coming in here and receiving something and us singing some good songs and it's not about Christ, then we're not going to see you anymore. It's about Jesus. It doesn't matter how cold it gets in here because it's about Jesus. It's about being around the people of God and worshiping Jesus. And we could get off track on this very easy. So how do we get back on track if we find ourselves off track? Well, the heart of worship remembers the gospel. It remembers the gospel. And 
oftentimes I would be, be shooting, especially if I was doing some long-range shooting, like at 500 yards. I'd be sitting there, and it's all about breathing control. So when you go to shoot, you take a deep breath in, and as you exhale out at the very pinnacle that you exhaling, you acquire your target and you shoot. And you've got like a split-second like window to make sure that you're stable as possible. And if you wait too long, you try to compensate with your, with your muscles and you try to like tighten up and it starts to shake all over the place. And sometimes you just got to stop and say, I got to reset. I got to start all over again. And for us, we have to reset. And we're given three commands to reset and get back on track if we find ourselves off track. The first thing is we see that we're con- we need to consider what went wrong. Verse five says, consider how far you've fallen. We need to consider who we were, what Christ has done, and what we're called to. What in our lives has usurped the throne of our hearts that belongs to Christ? And there's many things out there, and many things are good things. And they usurp our hearts. We have to really ask God to examine that. So how do we ask God to examine that? How do we, how do we consider these things? Well, we need to reset by looking at his word. And it's interesting that the Ephesians, the, the church at Ephesus, finds himself in this position because the Apostle Paul, 30 years before this, wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he writes in chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians. He says, As for you, you are dead in your trespasses, your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them and at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So who were we? We were dead. The Apostle Paul says we were dead. There wasn't a spark of life in us to love Jesus. Not one spark. In the Greek, it, it means you were dead as a bag of bones. You, didn't even, you couldn't even do anything. Yet God, and, and, and we were deserving of God's wrath because of this. We were separated because of sin. Sin. We generally don't like to use that word. Sin, it's a separation from God. And we were deserving of his wrath. Why? Because he's a just God. He cannot allow sin to just go by and go, you know what? It's all right. I totally get it. You messed up. No, he's a just God. But, verse 4 of chapter 2, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We deserved wrath, but instead Christ came down and lived a righteous and perfect life. And he died on the cross and he was resurrected three days later. And we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We are given God's grace. And we're we're renewed. And then we're called to participate in this renewal of what God is doing. Reconciling everything to himself. So who were we? We were sinners deserving of God's wrath. Who are we? We are children of God raised in Christ by his grace, not by anything that we have done. And what are we called to do? To reconcile all things unto Christ. So we need to consider what went wrong. Second, we're called to change direction. He uses the word repent. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent. 
Repentance means change your current direction and then move in that direction. And repentance is hard. It requires activity. Tim Keller writes, From the moment of the fall, humankind has suffered from a moral schizophrenia, neither able to deny sinfulness nor to acknowledge it for what it is. We don't even like to say that we've, we've sinned. Repentance is tough. And we're called to adopt a lifestyle of repentance. Not remorse. Remorse says, oh, I can't believe I did that. and doesn't do anything. Repentance. Not resolution. Resolution says, oh, I promise I'll do better next time. Repentance. A lifestyle that confesses sin, abandons sin, and moves towards the truth freedom, and the love found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, my, my mom and my youngest daughter, Madison, were down, and one of the things they wanted to do was go to L.O. Bean. L.O. Bean's a novelty for Californians, okay? They wanted to go to Freeport, Maine, and it was like, let's go to Freeport, Maine, so we went. But I want you to imagine that you guys were coming together with us. I said, let's go up to L.O. Bean. You guys are like, okay, I'll, let's go. Are you guys ready to go? All right, we're going to L.L. Bing. So we meet here at the church. You guys, I don't know how we all fit, but we fit in my Ford Focus. Don't know how that works, but we get in my Ford Focus. I jump on 495, and I head to Worcester. What are you guys going to tell me? You're going to say, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. Okay. Oh, you're right. I'm going the wrong way. Okay, so say I go ahead, and I, I turn around, and then I just put the car in park. We're never going to get there because my foot's not on the gas. Hey, I'm pointed in the right direction, but I'm not going anywhere. We're never getting to L.L. Bean. And many of us have done that in our lives. We say, you know what? This is wrong. I repent of this. We turn it around and we just sit there. We're like, yeah, I'm totally wrong. But that's not repentance. True repentance is, is going. It's active. Last thing we're called to is just to cut it out. He says, do the things you did at first. And when you first came to faith, you were very aware of your sinful condition. You knew exactly how short you fell and, and, and how good the gospel was. You were like, sin is really bad and I'm a sinner. And I totally get that. I know what I think. I know what I do. And the gospel is so good. And there was, it affected every single thing, every interaction you had in life. Everything you did outside of the church, everything you did inside of the church, your family, you had a little like pickup in your step because you knew you were a sinner saved by grace. But somehow, somewhere along the line, that's changed for many of us. The gospel just doesn't seem that good because you know what? Maybe we're not as bad as we think. And when we think we're not as bad as we think, then the gospel is not as good as it is. And if we don't think that something is, is good or we don't get an immediate happiness from it, generally as a people, it's no longer relevant to us and we abandon it. And for many of us, sin has been marginalized. Christ has been customized. The cross, because of this, has been scandalized. And the gospel has been trivialized. And that's just the fact. And here's the thing. We need to cut it out. We need to remember the true gospel because the true Jesus cares about that. It matters to him. 
He takes this very seriously. We continue in Revelation. It says, if you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus said, I'm not messing around. I will remove your church from you. If you're not loving me, if I'm not the main thing, and if you're not preaching the gospel, I'm removing your church from you. It's done. When people gather, or when we gather and people visit us, or when we scatter and we visit them, whether it's at work or in your everyday, the things change. I'm not talking about where we're beat, beating people in the head with the Bible or, you know, calling people out. I'm just saying, does things change? Does the environment change? I mean, if people walk in and they go, I don't get this Jesus thing, but these people really love, they're loving people. When you go into your workplace or at home or around whoever, as the church scattered, they go, I don't get this Jesus thing, but... Gosh, they really love Jesus. And I want some of that. I don't know what it is, but I want whatever it is they have. Does things change? Because see, the gospel is all about transformation and Christ reconciling all things to himself. And this transformation, this transformative opportunity we have starts with us. It starts with us. Do we believe that we have a need for the gospel? And do we embrace it? And do we believe that it has the transformative power that it actually has? Do we? That's a question we have to answer. And if you find yourself struggling with that, I recommend that all of us preach the gospel to ourselves every single day. Every single day. And some of you say, well, what does that look like? I don't even know what that looks like. It means before your feet hit the ground in the morning, you go and you say, you know what? Before, as my first thoughts of the day have been about myself and about all these things that are about me and about how this, that, and the other. And it just takes stock that by nature, you tend to be very self-focused and you sin. But thanks be to God through his gospel and what he's done that I am reconciled to God and I am a sinner saved by grace. When you come across and you get get discouraged by what you did or what you think, preach the gospel to yourselves. Because when we do this, that's worship. It's worship. All right, lastly, the heart of worship lives victoriously. Verse 7 says, Whoever has ears, let them hear. By the way, when Jesus says that, you better listen. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The other day I had my nephew Corbin. He's 14. He's very apathetic. And he was at our house. Typical teenager. Doesn't want to have any interaction with anyone above the age of 16. And, and so he's really into this Fortnite thing. I don't even know what that is. And, I mean, I know what video games are, but I don't know what Fortnite, and I don't understand why like, kids are so obsessed with it and, and adults are obsessed with this thing. And so <clears throat> he's explaining what Fortnite is. He's like, oh, I got all these skins. And I'm like, what's a skin? It's basically an outfit for, like, your character, and you pay money for it. I'm like, it doesn't give you any special powers or anything in your game? He's like, no. I'm like, how many do you have? Well, I got 72 of them. I'm like, where do you even get the money for that? And then I'm thinking, what a brilliant, like, business model. Anyways, um, 
But I'm like, why do you like this game? And he's telling me all this stuff. I said, no, no, no. Why do you like it? Like, what do you feel when you play it? Like, I want to know, like, what's going on in your heart? And he gets, all of a sudden, this kid who never gets serious, who's just like, eh, I don't want to talk to you. He's like, you know, Uncle Brian, I just want to win. I just want to win. I just feel like I never win. And that game makes me feel like I could win. And for us, I think we feel that a lot. There's a heaviness in life. And it's really hard being a Bible-believing, gospel-centered disciple of Jesus Christ in New England. There's no pressure for being a Christian. There's, no, there's none of that. People look at you funny. If you mention Jesus, they don't even know what you're talking about half the time. And, there's, and we could feel this. And then there's just the, the natural thing of life. And we feel this pressure. And we just want to win. And here we read that we are victorious and that we share in Christ's victory. This thing, this idea when it says that to the one who is victorious, that word means one who has been victorious, what Christ has done on the cross, who is victorious now and who will one day be victorious in glory. And so we are victorious in Christ and we're called to live in victory because Christ has overcome all and those of us that are in Christ have overcome the world as well. We read that we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And we live in victory. And I've said this a multi multiple amount of times. You're going to hear it for years. But this is a spoiler alert. All right? We win. We win. And I love it when you clap because I really want you to understand this. This isn't just a catchphrase that I do because I like to hear the claps or anything. It's because it's for reals. We win. We're victorious in Christ. And the heart of worship lives in this reality. We're not apathetic Christians like, oh, life is horrible. No, we win in Christ. We live victorious in Christ. And this, this gives us confidence and, and boldness and love that the world craves. The world is craving that. And we have it by the power of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. You saw the thing about the power of we. The, the, we're, we're hosting our cultural moment events. These cultural moment events are a big thing. And, and the power of we, I'm really excited about this because this isn't just an academic pursuit where we just discuss the problems and go, you know, these problems are really bad. And we appreciate it and go, mm, yeah, it's really bad. No, this is for us to leverage the victory of Christ and bring it to bear on our redemptive cultural moment that we have at this very time. That's what it's all about, because we have something to say. We have the power of Christ behind it, and we live in victory, and people want that. And Christ says, here you go. And we're called to be the messengers of that. As I close, yesterday at our men's breakfast, um, the speaker was talking about legacy, and he said, what kind of legacy do you want to live, uh, leave? And we had some really good discussions around that. But I was thinking about a conversation I had a couple days before with Pastor John. So me and Pastor John were down at a, a local business right by the Shawshine in the Mill District, and we're sitting there, and we're at the mill, and we're looking at the Shawshine, and we're just sitting there. And we're, we started discussing it, and, and it just hit me. I was like, you know... The founders of our church stood at the same location that we're standing right now. And 
and they were contemplating how they were to live in victory and glorify God and live a lifestyle of worship and bring it to bear on the culture at this very moment. And they did. And we have inherited that legacy. That's ours. So what are we going to do with it? Maybe you've sat here in the last few weeks we've been doing this series, and you've said, what is this whole life worship thing all about? Well, whole life worship is about Jesus. It's about our everyday response to Jesus, which is worship. It's engaging our hearts in everything that we do for Jesus, and it's leaving a legacy of worship that will continue now and for eternity. It's all about Jesus. I'm going to leave you with this. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about the time in your faith journey that you were just so in love with Jesus that everything in the world seemed right and you just worshipped him with everything. It didn't matter what you did. It was an offering to Jesus. And I want you to imagine now it's the end. It's the end. We're in eternity. And this is what we get. This is the glimpse of eternity that we get. After this, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we get to worship and bring glory and honor to you. Help us, Lord. Help us never to forget about the main thing, you, Lord Jesus. Help us to live in the victory of the gospel that you have secured and that will be consummated when we see you in your throne room in glory. Thank you. We ask this and we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.